morning, everybody. Second time, I know I said it already, but I, I don't know what to say when I'm like, hey, what's up? So we'll stick with good morning. Uh, we are continuing our series in Psalms. And so if you've been here for all of it, if you've missed parts of it, you know, we took the first six weeks to lay out the understanding of Psalms, the different types of Psalms and categories so that we could approach this book with that foundational understanding. And then when I first introduced this series, you know, I pointed out that Psalms really does a beautiful job as a book of presenting the whole theology of Scripture in one uh, section, in one contained book. And so what we've done since then is we looked at how Psalms reminds us of sin and a proper understanding of the theology of sin, the universal problem of sin, the need for repentance, the gift of forgiveness. Then we moved on to, okay, so then salvation. What is salvation? What is that, that eternal blessing of salvation? Then we moved on to sanctification. So I've progressed from sin, repentance, forgiveness, salvation, sanctification. Okay, as a sanctified Christian, as someone indwelt with the Holy Spirit, being made holier, do I understand last week my relationship to this omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent God? Do I have that proper perspective as I consider the Lord and who I am in this? And as we continue to progress with this theology in Psalms, we come to a foundational blessing and truth uh, of Christianity, and that's hope. You know, okay, I, I'm sanctified, I'm being sanctified, I have this fellowship with this Lord who is these things that I am not, and that gives me the gift, the privilege, the right to hope. In a world that is increasingly despondent, this message resonates, or rather it should if we are proclaiming it with our lives, in our conversations. I admit that this was a week where I needed God to take me through this. There were a couple days this week where I struggled with feeling hopeful. So I needed this reminder from the Lord that it's not about what I may feel at any given moment. I hate to break it to you. Your feelings are not the definition of truth. My feelings this week were not the standard of truth. God had to remind me that what I know far outweighs what I may feel in any given moment. And so I am exceedingly grateful for what we are going to look at this morning. And the prayer is that God will use it to glorify himself above all else and only as the only one worthy of glory. Before we dive in, please join me in prayer. Lord, you are, you are God and there is none like you. We praise you for who you are, for your love, your mercy, your compassion, your kindness. May we be always grateful. As we come to the portion this morning of worship through Scripture, may our engagement with your word be worship. May we do so with joy, with reverence, with awe, with a desire to know you, with a desire to be conformed to the person of Christ. Lord, to echo John the Baptist, I must decrease, Jesus must increase. Hide me entirely in this. 
whatever we all brought with us this morning, Lord, overwhelm it with the magnitude of the glory of Christ and of your word. May our hearts be given entirely to you in this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John Piper, one of my favorite authors, theologians, uh, talking about hope and despair, has this to say. He says, Our future can look bleak for two reasons. One is the prospect that misery is coming. The other is the prospect that happiness is not coming. And isn't virtually all the work of the human heart exhausted by these two things, fearing future misery and thirsting for future happiness? Piper hits the nail on the head. How often we get overwhelmed by or trapped in either of those two extremes, fearing future misery or just wishing that things would change and we could have that future happiness. And it comes down to, in those moments, that emotion, that emotion of fear, that emotional response of happiness. And the exhaustion that comes in our lives when those two things consume us. And so I want us to look at this morning and see, and I, my hope, my dear hope for this time, is that God will use His Word to remind us of what we know, of what we know to be true. And when we look at the Psalms, we know that hope is given to us. Psalm 30, verse 5 says, Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Psalm 40, verse 17 says, As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. Psalm 71, which we will look at in length this morning and we'll get to. Psalm 91, verses 14 to 16, and this is God speaking about those who love Him. Because He holds fast to me in love, I will deliver Him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Psalm 121, verse 8, The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Psalm 138, verses 6 to 7, For though the Lord is high, He regards the lowly, but the haughty He knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, You preserve my life. You stretch out Your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and Your right hand delivers me. In all these situations, the psalmist talks about, this is what's right in front of me, but I know that this is what's ahead of me. I know that this is what's behind me, beside me, God's goodness, His faithfulness, His promise of deliverance, His promise of rescue, His assurance of salvation. He's not using the word, but he is constantly circling back to in the Psalms, and the various Psalm writers are constantly circling back to this truth of hope. We've talked about it a lot. Maybe we should define it. What is hope? I mean, if somebody asked you, somebody asked you at work tomorrow, hey, what's hope? What would you say? What would you come up with? 
Would we stammer? Would we be able to articulate the privilege of hope, the joy of hope, the assurance of hope? Would we be able to go to Scripture and point to it? I believe what we see in Scripture that hope is present confidence, confidence in the here and now, present confidence based on, grounded in, founded in, coming from, flowing from certain expectation of future good. We've talked about numerous times in numerous sermon series the now and not yet tension of the Christian life. Jesus even used this language. What did Jesus say in the Gospels? He says, the kingdom of God is coming and is now here. It's not yet here, but it is here. The kingdom of God is now present in the hearts of men, and one day it is coming. Right? We have looked at those tenses of salvation. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. That's justification. We have been saved from the power of sin. That's glorification. But we will one day be saved from the presence of sin. Or I'm sorry, that's sanct yeah, sanctification, saved from the power of sin. Glorification, one day we will be saved from the presence of sin. So the Christian life throughout Scripture, we see this now and not yet tension. And I don't mean tension in the sense of at odds with one another. I don't mean tension, right? If Joe and I have tension in our relationship, there's disagreement, there's discord. It's a negative thing in our minds. I'm talking about tension in the sense that there are these two forces that are existing, coexisting perfectly, and learning how to live there how to understand that is integral to our lives. Learning how to live in this present-day confidence based on future good, based on a certain awareness, a certainty of that future good, that now and not yet. What does Scripture say? Romans 15, 13, present-day confidence May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope, abound in hope in your daily life. Hebrews 6, 11-12, We desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. See, that assurance of hope doesn't come at the end. It's, hey, no, we desire that you would have that full assurance of hope now until the end. He goes on and he says, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You also have Hebrews 6, verses 17 to 19. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place beyond the curtain. We have this. He says we have this hope. Now we have it. You have this full assurance of hope until the end. It's present. It's not this wishful thinking. You know, I can say, and, and see, this is where I think we've really done the word hope a disservice. Because in our modern language, we use it interchangeably with wish. 
Anybody ever said, I hope it doesn't rain this week? Oh, I hope it doesn't rain this week. Man, I hope, you know, I, I hope that they drop the price of mulch again because I missed it when it was five for 10. I hope they drop the price again. It's I wish. I don't know if this is a certainty. I don't know if this is going to happen. I'd, I'd like for it to happen. I hope I get this. I hope this comes through. But that's not what biblical hope is. Biblical hope is present confidence. In the here, in the now, in the today, I have confidence. I have a full assurance of what is before me. And then there's the not yet. There's the future good. There's the certainty of that. Also tied to hope. 1 Corinthians 15, 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul's writing in Corinthians, and he says, no, if our hope ends in the temporary, in the here and now, then we're to be pitied, because our hope is eternal. Why does he say that? Colossians 1.27, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is in Christ in you, the hope of glory. 1 Timothy 1 also identifies Jesus as our hope of future glory. This idea of glorification of one day when His kingdom comes, when Jesus returns, when He reigns, when we're taken to heaven. 1 Timothy 4.10, For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. So when the Bible's talking about hope, when Psalms... When the psalmists are writing about hope, they're talking about this present confidence in our lives today that is based on, that is rooted in, that flows from the certainty that we can have of future good. The certainty of what is coming. The knowing how the game ends. Knowing what the final score is going to be. March Madness, the single greatest sporting event in the history of the world. Every sport should have to operate by March Madness rules. I love it. Anybody watch the FAU San Diego State game last night? Oh man, right? Kid hits a game winning shot as time, like buzzer sounds, balls in the air, nails it. Half the court, half the stadium erupts in joy. And one of the sports writers uh, who I like to check in, you know, he makes the point of, and he's, he pans his camera over and he says, there's no March Madness, without March sadness. And while this half of the arena is going nuts, he cuts over to the FAU bench and the FAU fans and people are bawling their eyes out. And they're face down on the court. Why? They're crushed. Because the game ended the way they didn't want it to. Now, Christian hope is knowing what the scoreboard's going to say at the end. When the buzzer sounds, we know what the result is. We know where we spend eternity. We know who is victorious. We know who conquers evil. We know who conquers death. We have that certainty of future good. And so that certainty of future good gives us confidence in today. Gives us confidence in the face of yet another terrible headline, yet another terrible stock market report, yet another terrible bank statement, yet another terrible doctor's like, right? Whatever that one more thing is today, 
that threatens to rob us of joy, that threatens to rob us of peace, that threatens to rob us of strength. We say, no, I have confidence today because I have certainty of tomorrow. Praise the Lord. That is biblical hope. That is what the Psalms lay out for us. So let's consider at length Psalm 71, a beautiful, beautiful, and I'll say it again, beautiful psalm of hope. It's a little bit long, so I won't ask you guys to stand, but bear with me. This is God's Word. This is the Word of our King. Psalm 71, In You, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In Your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline Your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me, for You are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For You are... O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you have I leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. I have been as a portent to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. For my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together and say, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. O God, be not far from me. O my God, make haste to help me. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed. With scorn and disgrace, may they be covered who seek my hurt. But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those who come. Your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? You have made me see many troubles and calamities. You will revive me again from the depths of the earth. You will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. I will also praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you. My soul also which you have redeemed." And my tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long, for they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. The whole psalm abounds in hope. You see the literal word appear twice. And what's really cool, and this is where studying is such a joy. This is where taking the time to dive into God's word, to go deep, to look behind the curtain, right? To put the effort in is such a joy. Because if I just read through that, and I see, what, verse 5, For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Verse 14, But I will hope continually, and I will praise you yet more and more. 
All right, cool. You are my hope. I will hope in you continually. But when we take the time to dive into it, to study it, to see what it's saying, we see that there are actually two words used, two different words that we translate hope. And the first word in verse 5, it literally means accord. And not accord like A-C-C-O-R-D, but a cord, an attachment, a means of anchoring something. Present day, Lord, you, you, O oh Lord, are my cord. You are my attachment. You are what holds me in place when everything that's going wrong that I already talked about in this psalm, when it happens, Lord, you're my cord. You're my hope. Present day, confidence. Then you get to the second use of hope, and it's a different word. And this is a Hebrew word that means to wait. To wait for something that's not yet here. To wait for something that I know is coming. He says, I will hope continually. I will wait continually, confidently knowing that this is coming. Confidently knowing that my salvation is coming. In Psalm 71, you see that biblical definition that hope is present-day confidence based on certainty of future good. It's incredible when we study God's Word, what He teaches us and shows us. What else do we see in Psalm 71? Sam, that's great that you just defined two Hebrew words for me. I'm not going to use that. Got to be honest, man. When I'm at the kids' soccer game on the sideline, I'm not going to say to the dad next to me, well, let's talk about the Hebrew words for a second. That's not going to help me when I just lost my job. I'm not going to recollect this when I get the phone call from the doctor's office. When I, like, th- great, we've defined hope. We've explored it. We've looked at present-day confidence. That's fantastic. I don't always feel confident in the present day. I don't always remember the certainty of future good. Where does this hope actually come from? Because, guys, it can't start up here. It's based on what we know, but what we have to know is the person of God. Who we have to know is Yahweh, is Jehovah, Jehovah Nisi, Elohim, Adonai. Who we have to know is the Lord. Because Psalm 71, this incredible reminder, examination, lesson, truth of hope, also shows that hope flows from and is only found in the person of God. Listen to Psalm 71, 14 to 21 again. But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. Why? How? How can you say this? My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those who come. Your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is likely like you. 
You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. Hope is found only in the Lord. So if I'm searching for it apart from Him, if I am looking for it, if I am desperate for it, if I am longing for it, and my immediate inclination, my immediate reaction is not to turn to the Lord, I'm looking in the wrong place. Where are my, where are my shoppers? Anybody who's ever bought anything at a store? That's all of you. Very good. I need groceries. We don't have anything for lunch. I need to stop and get stuff for lunch. Should I go to Kroger or Lowe's? Lowe's. If I want beef jerky and combos from the cash register, I can go to Lowe's. No, if I'm looking to make a salad, I'm going to go to Kroger. Why? That's where the ingredients are found. If I need to buy paint, if I need to buy a saw, I'm not going to go to Kroger. I'm going to go to Lowe's. I'm going to go to a hardware store. I'm going to go where what I'm looking for is actually found. So if I'm looking for hope, if I'm talking to a world, if I'm talking to my neighbor, my coworker, my nephew, my uncle, my sister, my dad, right? If I'm talking to someone and they're looking for hope, I have to take them to the Lord. Psalm 62, 5-7, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Jeremiah 17, 13 gives the name of the Lord. It says, O Lord, the hope of Israel. All who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth, for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. Romans 4, 18-21. This is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. This was, this was my phone background for years. This is speaking about Abraham. In hope... Abraham, he, in hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Why did Abraham hope against all rational hope? rational logic because his hope was founded in a certainty of God's faithfulness. He believed because God who promised him was faithful. Did you catch those last verses? No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That's why in verse 19 it says, in hope he believed. Despite appearances, I, I think it's hilarious 
I genuinely do. I think, the, I think the word is hilarious. It's hilarious that God includes the detail, though he was as good as dead because his body was so old. What excuse do we use? How often do we use our physical circumstance as an excuse? I can't do this because I'm too tired. I can't do this because I'm too old. I can't do this because I'm too young. I can't do this because I'm not physically placed. I mean, we use the physical reality of our life as an excuse so readily. And God includes this detail. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. Like, he's not mincing words. Abraham looks at physical reality physical appearance, and he says, no, no, God, God promised that this was going to happen, and so I believe that it will happen. Abraham's hope was cemented in the character of God. Hebrews 10, 19 to 23, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast our confession without wavering. Why? For he who promised is faithful. Psalm 71, Psalm 62, the entirety of Scripture reminds us that hope is founded in God and God does not change. That is present day confidence. That is confidence for the here and now. And then what do we see in Psalm 71 that this hope results in? We see that people of hope are people who praise. Hope results in praise. Psalm 71, verse 22. So after he spends all these verses talking about, I will hope in you because you are unchangeable, you are good, you are faithful. What does he say? He says, I will also praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you. My soul also, which you have redeemed, and my tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long. Hope results in praise. It's the natural conclusion, or rather byproduct, of hope. Consider Psalm 43, 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Psalm 130, verse 7. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him is plentiful redemption. Lamentations 3, 21-23, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Hope is 
inextricably tied to praise. Habakkuk 3, 17-19, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Though I seem to find myself in a hopeless situation, though it seems like everything is going wrong, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer. He makes me tread on high places. Present day confidence that flows from certainty of future good because it is built on, it is founded on the person of God, the person of Christ, the sacrifice Jesus made, the beauty of forgiveness and redemption leads us to be people who praise constantly, who praise continually, who face the trials of life with that certainty of the outcome. And don't allow the situation we find ourselves in to keep us from praise. So as we continue these things, or as we continue, as we consider these things, there's the word. As we consider these things this week, this idea of hope, this psalm of hope, reread Psalm 71 if you need to. Look for these things, look for these lessons. But as we consider this progression of, okay, sin, repentance, forgiveness, salvation, sanctification, fellowship with an omnipotent God. Does my life reflect hope? Do I live in hope? What did Scripture say? Abound in hope. Do I abound in hope? Apply the Acts model as we pray through these things. And then let's read two chapters. We're going to read Isaiah 44 and 1 Corinthians 15. Considering this definition of present-day confidence with a certainty of future good, look at how the two chapters relate to one another. As you're going through 1 Corinthians 15, I'll give you a hint. As you're going through 1 Corinthians 15, highlight the verses that point to certainty of future good. Write a little FG next to them in the margin of your Bible if you need to. Teach yourself how to study. Train yourself how to study. Look for these things. And then the verse we're memorizing. If you missed last week, so you're here two weeks ago, I introduced the idea that we're going to memorize verses. And you're like, uh, I don't feel up for memorizing 52 verses in a year. Well, no, last week we looked at, we're not doing this just so we can say we memorized a bunch of information. I mean, if it was just about memorizing a bunch of information, I don't know, pick up an owner's manual for your lawnmower and memorize that. That doesn't do you any good eternally. We're not, we're not studying Scripture. We're not seeking to internalize Scripture just so that we can say we're doing it. We're looking at God's Word and we're saying, have I hidden this in my heart? Do I know this? Is this a part of me? Is this a part of my approach every day? So as we're sticking with Acts 1.8, working on memorizing Acts 1.8, how does it relate to hope? Well, when you read through Isaiah 44 you'll see that hope is directly connected to witnessing. I mean, hope is directly connected to being a witness. So as we consider Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. I don't know how to give my testimony, Sam. I'm unsure of where to start. Okay, start with hope. 
Start with hope. So how does your testimony reveal hope? How can you use the hope that you have to share Jesus with the world? With Jerusalem, with Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. How can you use hope? If you don't know how to share your testimony, if you're unsure of where to begin, listen for when your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends, your family say something that reveals, I'm struggling with hope. Oh, this is as good as it gets. I mean, I don't know why we're surprised by another, like, right? Like, life's just terrible. I've had coworkers say that, right? Well, marriages fail. That's what they do. Kids disappoint you. That's what kids do, right? Like, I don't have a relationship with my dad, so of course I don't expect my son to have a relationship with me. I've heard people say this. You know what they're saying? I don't have hope. Let's translate that. I don't have hope. I don't have hope for my relationship. I don't have hope for my life. I don't have hope for my eternity. I don't have confidence when the trials of life hit. I am hopeless. Okay, hey, let me talk to you about hope. How can we build our testimony around hope so that we can be witnesses to the hope of Christ? Hey everyone, Pastor Sam here. Thanks for joining us for a Sunday sermon. If you're interested in more of the sermons from this series or some of our past sermon series that we've done, you can find them at discovercommunity.org under the sermon file. Uh, otherwise, you can subscribe to this channel to make sure you stay up to date on all our content. Thanks for joining us.